Blog Talk Radio. Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Ladies and gentlemen, if we could please have a moment of silence, and we will also commence a bell salute, if you will, to the late and great Scott Oliver Hall, who just recently passed away. On Monday, uh, three heart attacks not be forgotten. And um, please stand by. Prayers and thoughts go out to the Scott Hall family, the family of Scott Hall, my bad. Um, I'm not just going to cover the basics about Scott. He was someone that most people don't know, started his career early. I mean, he was a world-class athlete, man. He did not go to college per se because if he went to college we would not have Scott we would not have the history of Ray's Ramon we would not have the history of Magnum back in AWA you know Kurt Henning we would not have the historical fulcrum that Scott was with Kevin uh, in Monday Night Wars back in 1995-96 let me tell you something about Scott. He was born October 20th, 1958. Passed away March 14th, 2022. He's well known for Ayo Chico as Razor Ramon and Survey Says Scott Hall. Uses actual fucking real name in WCW. And allow me to whew, allow me to turn the microphone. My bad, folks. Is this thing on? So, allow me to... Holy crap. Scott's history of wrestling goes a hell of a lot deeper than you think. So, career highlights include... Beginning his career in 1984. Um, and 
He started in 85 to 89 in AWA. He won tag team championships. He's won the Intercontinental Championship. He never was a world heavyweight, though. Never, ever was the world heavyweight. So, um... 85-89 was AWA, 1987-1990. He had a brief stint in the WWF, but now it's going to know as the WWE. So, let's see. In August of 1987, he did a tryout for WWF back then. In 1990, he received another tryout at Fort Myers, and... Uh, he lost to Paul Roma. Uh, does anybody remember that name? Anybody at all? Any wrestling historians out there? Uh, so, World Championship Wrestling in 1989. And that was... Uh, he brought he was brought in by JR. Wow. That's pretty cool. So, um, he helped develop Hillman and Sid Vicious. Holy crap. And June, on June 3rd, he may actually, let's see, their edition of WCW, let's see here, teamed with Randy Rose and lost to the fabulous Freebirds. Okay. His TV debut came on July 9th and WCW penned by the great Muda. I, you know what, that's really cool. Did not know he faced Muda. I must read my wrestling history a lot more closer, I guess. Uh, he actually went a bit abroad in 1990-1991. New Japan Pro Wrestling with Larry Cameron, Hiroshi Haas, and Kunaki Kobashi. March 2nd, 1990. So, let's see. Uh, 1990-1991. Brief stint in Puerto Rico. And I'm not going to... You know, bore you to tears with his wrestling history, but 92-93 was Razor Ramon in WWF. 94 was kind of a stint there. 95 was his last year, and as we all know, Scott basically was on his way out around that time, 95, 96, 1995, basically. So um, let's hear it. I mean, let's hear what he had to say because I think it would it would do it justice if I played you all a little soundbite of his interview. So. Bear with me. Oh, seven minutes, but I think it's important that we remember why and where, okay? So it's a seven-minute interview. Stand by, get a drink of coffee, get a monster, whatever you need, because this is pretty important. Take a listen into the madness. No, I remember, Vince, what I do remember about that is I gave my notice 90 days in advance in writing as required contractually, which meant I didn't want the contract to roll over. It was a one-year deal that kept rolling over. Mm-hmm. It was 10 matches at $150. Right. $1,500 a year. Guaranteed. Don't get me wrong, the money was way better than that. But then I felt like I had grown as a performer, and I felt like I was more of a part of the company, but my pay had started to plateau. So I went to Vince and said, hey, boss, you know, what do I need to do to improve? You know, is it my ring work? Is it my mic work? He went, oh, absolutely not. Brother, that's what we got. So I'm just curious because my pay has plateaued and I want to make big money like the guys who preceded me. 
then he knew like something was up. But that's when the whole thing got discussed about, you know, this and that. I asked, and then they summoned me to Connecticut for a meeting. And I went in prepared, and I said, and this is when it's a private company. It's not publicly traded. And I, and so in Vince's mind, if he made more, he literally made less. Like, it was like, and I went, hey, boss, like I said, I'm not a mathematician, but I do look at my merchandise statements. I said, if we move the decimal point a little bit, I said, would the McMahon family really notice? Because I said, the Hall family would notice. He went, nope, nope, not going to do it. I give you the same thing, and I give Taker and Kevin and John, and nope, not going to do it. So I said, okay, I said, because um, I was thinking if a fan buys a Razor shirt, that's their money. That's their money. Like, not your money. That's their money. And then I said, you know, so on the same theme, I said, well, let me, Jeff, I still want to work for you, but let me have 12, 15 weeks a year I go to Japan and get their money. And he goes, well, I'm not going to say no, because I do let back them go, but <laughs> as soon as I got you over there, I need you here. <laughs> and he's laughing, and I'm not laughing. Because I thought, well, I came to you with some ways out. I mean, the way that all those guys got paid after we left was merch. Austin Rock, Triple H, Sean, all those guys, Taker, all making that huge money was off merch because he started giving them 50% of the merch. And I was getting like point zero zero one three, like. But th- that's what moved me. So um, I, have, I go out with Triple H and rock it. And because I've been, we worked Hershey Philly double shot the night before, mm. Saturday and then Sunday in the garden. And Vincent Pat come to the shows, and they sit in the crowd and they watch. But he never sold. I mean, he never came to me and said, "Hey, let's work this out." You know, what, what do we have to do? He never sold it. And we're Kevin's main event. I'm saying my main. We're selling. We're doing record business. That night in the garden was the largest revenue producing event on pay per view that WWE had had at that point. Sold out Madison Square Garden house show. Mm-hmm. And Kev's in a cage with Sean. I'm underneath with Triple H, who's subbing for Goldust. Because Goldust got hurt in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, wow, like, I can't believe Like, I felt bittersweet. Like, wow, this is really, I'm really leaving. I'm going down there tomorrow. Like, what the hell? And finally, Vince summons me to his office. Like, I'm sitting there, me and Triple H just rocking with the massive Pat Patterson Gibbons. Because before that, we're just going out wrestling. Then he's beating me. And then and Pat comes to me and goes, you know, you you know you're over in the garden. They love you here. And I'm like, well, no. And he's going, no, stop it. You know, you're right. They do. Thanks. And he went. He laid it out where I would go out and I'm taking my gimmicks off, you know, giving them to the ringside guy. And Triple H jumps me and beats me up, throws me on the floor, chokes me with, like, the cable. And I'm laying in the aisleway. And so Mark's are there going, man, Razor ain't doing no job in the garden, man. He's out of here. He ain't doing no job in the garden. He ain't doing it. And then they start going, razor, razor. And I blew into that ring. And Now, I need to get a hold of that guy. Because I told him that day in, in Brooklyn, I want to see the match. It's one of my best matches I ever had. And he starts beating me like a job guy, dug a sack of shit, career ender. That's it. And now Mark's going, he's not leaving. Because on the way to the ring, half the crowd is going, please don't go. Look at this, bro. Goose, I'm there right now. Please don't go. Please don't go. So I hit the ring, man. He beat job guy. That's it. I pick him up for my finish. This is Patterson's finish. Baby Earl walks behind me. Hunter's feet hit Earl. He's down. Everybody in the building knows that the ref's down. And the WWE rings 20 by 20. It's that extra foot. I can cheat over, drop him. I cover him. I don't count myself. You know, I'm waiting. I go, what? I turn and grab Baby Earl by the waist, pick him up. Boom. Pedigree. One, two, three. 
and I lay there forever. And then when I get up, they start going. Now there's a bigger voice going, you sold out, you sold out. And Vince always stood right outside the curtain in the garden. And it was a short aisle away for house shows. Uh, yeah. not, not like TV, it's right. a real short aisle. I remember Pat my aunt said, you tell him, give me the money, and I'll stay right here. And he just looked down. So then I remember getting on the mic, and my whole deal had been say hello to that guy. And this time I went, say, and I swear, three-quarters of that crowd stayed with me. I went, goodbye, and then they all went, to the bad guy. And I went, I had been back to the garden since the Hulk Hogan tribute thing. Years later, first time back in the garden. So anyway, after that, I'm with the hunter going, thanks, brother. That was great. You know, it was sweet. And uh, sometimes you have your best match doing a job. Sure. And then they come to me, hey, Vince wants to see you. So they're cool. Because right now things are great. I'm not hurt. I'm done. And I'm going to WCW the next day. I have no idea what's great, but I'm going. And I know Kev's coming. And uh, he takes me to his office and he goes, he goes, damn it, you still work for me. He goes, how much some sons of bitches offer you? And I'm and I'm thinking, Vince, like I came to you months ago. Yeah. And I'm going, Vince, I said, boss, I don't really feel comfortable talking about this. I said, I've told Eric Bischoff I'm coming down and work for him tomorrow. I said, I didn't ask you to match it. You know, he goes, well, well, how much? And I told him, he went, oh, that's pretty good money when business is doing good. I said, I, I said, you brought it up, Vince. You know, because now I'm thinking, what? Like what, bro? Months have gone, 90 days have gone by. You never said, let's work this out. Right. I didn't want to leave. I really don't want to leave. Did he, was he playing a game of chicken? Did he think that you were going to balk or that you hadn't signed a deal? No. Well, see, the thing is, I didn't give my notice until I had a commitment from WCW, right. which meant if I choose to go there, I have all this guaranteed, but I don't have to go. Because in Georgia, you can have a letter of intent, which okay. is binding. So the contract was, if I choose to work for WCW, I'm guaranteed this. But I don't have to go. Okay. If, if I have the last minute, I decide to stay with WWE, I can. So he still theoretically could have kept you. Yeah, but he didn't. And he, and he said, and I've seen interviews where he went later. He went, you know what? I don't blame him for doing it. You know what? He said I would. He said he wasn't prepared to make a guarantee. Because at that point, I'd have taken less, but I just wanted a guarantee, and he wasn't prepared to do it. Right. Of course, now they all get guaranteed right, money. Right. I wonder how that came about. Well, let me see if I can turn this around here so we can. The dirt. Let's get to the dirt. Thomas Morrison, can you recall any details from the plane ride? Okay, well, you know what? I believe that YouTube, I will elaborate. On what Scott just said, he wasn't making much, so he decided to leave, and that in turn created wrestling history. Now, when someone leaves a company because they're not making enough and they feel like their pay isn't exactly the greatest, especially in professional wrestling, nowadays, I mean, I don't know, the lowest pay you could get would probably be in the Indies, and that's because... Unless the promoter is a certified billionaire like a Tony Khan or Vince McMahon, your pay could be a hot dog and a handshake, or it could be twenty bucks, forty bucks, a hundred bucks. Hell, I don't know. Some people even pay two hundred dollars. I don't know what the standard independent promotion pay is, 
But I do have a friend, a few of them that work the independent scene in professional wrestling, and that is why, folks, they have day jobs so they can pay your bills. Because if you rely upon nothing else but working a professional wrestling gig, that's once a Saturday, that's only $45 a pop, or like I said, lower, a hot dog and a handshake, some nachos, and a free motel or hotel room. I don't know how this shit works, but I do know. I don't know how that shit normally works. Let me rephrase that because once upon a time, yours truly perused the indie scene. Never once did I get a hot dog and a handshake, although it did feel at one point in time like things needed to change, so decided to get up, leave, and kind of, you know, got burned out just a smidgen by professional wrestling. I don't think Scott was ever burned out. By wrestling, because at the time he said, imagine making $150 in matches, you know, that's 1500 a year. That's not much at all. And considering what Ted Turner was going to pay Scott, figure-wise, per year with Eric Bischoff for WCW, not under Razor Ramon, not under, you know, the pretense that he had to carry over his gimmick from WWE because then, well, let's see. At the time, he would have to pay rights to Vince. He would have to pay rights to the production of the name Razor Ramon. Career-wise, Scott just had, you know, the mindset. If I'm not making enough money to support my family, to support me, why should I fucking stay? I mean, it just, it begs the question, what kind of guy, what kind of worker, what kind of wrestler was Scott Hall? Was he the asshole that basically said, hey, you know, if you're not paying me, you know, why should I even come work for you? That wasn't the whole gist of the whole thing that started the whole, triggered the whole Monday Night War effect, okay? And outside of the fact that, you know, Scott Hall was leaving with his friend because if he left by himself, I don't think the story would be told the same. I don't think the tale would be told the same way. So I know a lot of people covered the whole Monday Night Wars. If he never did this, then he would never have been a part, a big integral part of the Monday Night Wars. Well, let me tell you folks, he goes a lot deeper than that. I mean... If you've ever watched Scott Hall's biopic on A&E Biography, you know the man used to be a nightclub bouncer in Miami? You also know that he went to jail for a whole fucking year and got released, even after the fact that he had murdered someone in self-defense because the douchebag was literally being an asshole at a strip club, which is not uncommon. So... What I'm getting at, folks, is he's much more than the guy who was a part of the very ever-so-famed Monday Night Wars. Scott Oliver Hall was a man that literally proved that it's never too late for second chances or to start your life over because as much as we love to honor him now that he's gone, remember him when he was here. That's the best portion about this King podcast. Scott Hall, 
essentially, guys, started his career at a very young age. You know, very tall, very good-looking, nice physique. But, you know, the struggle that he had to go through before making it big time. I mean, once upon a time, that dude was in and out of AE, or not AEW, AWA, American Wrestling Alliance. And that was up in Minnesota, with, you know, where Jesse the Body Ventura resided. Mr. Perfect, Ravishing Rick Rude. And they weren't known as those personas back in the day. But what I'm saying is, Hall struggled. He was convicted of murder. Then he got released. I'm backtracking. But after that, you know, what was he going to do? Be a physical, you know, PE teacher? Was he was he going to coach football, coach basketball? I think it's a detriment to Scott to basically be known as the guy that went through hell. He literally went through hell and back to get into the wrestling business. And the wrestling business is not a very lucrative business for some of us. Or, you know, me who's not just me, but... For those who have tried it, quit it, tried it again, quit it again. It's like trial and error, man. If you don't succeed, you know the saying, dust yourself off and try again. If somebody was to go through the ringer like Scott did back in the day, I'm just telling you now that if you had to go through tryout and you didn't make it and you were like, oh, man, I made the big time. I told you, I'll come back next time, kid. Imagine that. This was a time when Hulk Hogan was running the show. Macho Man Randy Savage, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Jimmy Snuka, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff. So it really didn't fit in the 80s, didn't even fit in the 90s, kind of had a brief stint in WCW. Those people don't know, before before he came back to be a huge part of that, fiasco, not fiasco, but historical war, wrestling war, there's a certain thing called trial and error, and I say it again, if a lot of People who have ever tried this thing, this crazy Ragnarok, this crazy sport called professional wrestling. I guarantee you, a lot of people last in this thing because you got to keep on pressing that. You got to keep practicing your promos. You got to keep doing a lot of shit to keep up your confidence, your drive to do this thing because it's a lot of work. You drive probably 200, 300 miles on average. Probably even more than that nowadays. But what Scott brought to the table was and has never been duplicated. I mean, there's a few people that can claim, hey, I'm trying my damnedest. You know, and I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Scott had that natural ability to not only do in ring, but microphone and promo and. Basically, draw the crowd in by saying a few choice words. Ariel Chico. Or, you know, stuff like survey says another one for the good guys. Or no, another one for the bad guys. 
going through all those trials and tribulations and sufferings and being told, oh, yeah, you know, you're not what we're looking for. Imagine that. It was the same promoter, the same fucking promoter that literally turned him away. Imagine that. Jim Ross brought him in. Of course, it was the time when Jim Crockett was running the ship, and that was back in the day where wrestling was nothing but territories. So Scott, you know, probably didn't fit the mold what they're looking for. He's a big dude with a mustache back in the 80s, and he really didn't have any direction as far as gimmick goes because his name was Magnum, for fuck's sakes. Imagine even back in the 80s and not making much at your profession. What was the average wage back in the 80s? Does anyone know, was it like $4.74 or something like that back in 84 for a regular minimum wage paying job? $5.15 later on, and then now it's all up to like $11, $12 an hour. I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you if Scott Hall was a minimum wage worker. Can't support yourself if you're just a bouncer like he was. Made good money. I mean, he made money under the table, up front, to protect the people in said club from scumbags. Now, fast forward this discussion. The bread and butter of his career started back when Mr. Perfect gave him a fucking shout and a prayer to say, hey, take a look at this kid. He's worthwhile. Probably not in those exact words, but I mean, if guys like Jesse the Body noticed him, and this is, and I, he's got a really good look to him. What's his gimmick name? Magnum. There's already a Magnum TA at the time. There's already a Ric Flair romping around, proclaiming that Space Mountain is the longest running ride in history, and God knows it's still running. God bless Rick's soul. But the point is, actually, there's a lot of points. So the focus, the main focus right now, folks, is how do you keep pursuing your dream? How do you go from broke to being on Forbes, you know, most, you know, talked about individual? I'm a firm believer that if it wasn't for Diamond Dallas Page, Scott Hall probably would have been proclaimed dead, probably, oh goodness, man, eight, nine years ago, or even sooner. The man was doing some heavy shit, and that kind of, not kind of hindered, it really did hinder his ability to work and function as a human being. Kind of dropped off the face of the planet. Was doing, you know, small independent shows. Not was not very coherent. Couldn't even stand up. I mean, there's points where he would, you know, put his face through the curtain and then couldn't even gather himself to get out. I don't want to go through the entire list of promotions that he did, but I know he was a part of Impact Wrestling. I know he was a part of several indie shows after the fact that he dropped off the face of the fucking earth. Scott Hall 
during his entire wrestling career, never once looked like he was out of place. Sure, maybe in the 80s when it was time of Macho Man, Hogan, Savage Flair, and all the names I just, Legion of Doom, Dusty Rhodes. Hell, I mean, before his matches with Goldust and Rick Rude and Bob Backlund, where he won the Intercontinental Championship from, or who he won it from, WrestleMania. Allow me to tell you this right now. Scott Hall was just a big dude and a mustache who looked like, uh, oh, who's the, the bearded actor that was, you know, Burt Reynolds. There's, he looked like Burt Reynolds, a very tall, dark hair, greasy Burt Reynolds. And was he to be taken seriously? Some promoters said, oh, you know, he's a big guy, but, you know, he'd just be, a jobber for now. Imagine Scott Hall being a jobber after the fact. Because if it wasn't for him, you know, Kevin Nash's career would have never let sail or let loose. Because, you know, I know that he says, well, Vince brought me up. Yeah, because you're seven feet tall, dude. And it just so happens, you know, Later on down the road, Kevin became an integral part, too, of the Outsiders and WCW. But before that, you know, even though they never officially teamed more than once in WWE, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were the most influential tag team that people spoke about, still talk about, try to emulate, you know, when they're at parties, drunk as a skunk. business okay allow me to elaborate in a way that might make sense to you guys okay all right this is something that's important to me that's important to the whole wide wrestling universe so i'm going to speak without music tonight because i feel like it doesn't need music it just needs some ebb and flow to this whole fucking madness, okay? To this whole chaotic week in professional wrestling. The following content presented on this pro wrestling podcast, Beyond the Tracks, Wrestle Radio Network, and it belongs to me, Brian Rails. You do not have permission to use, copy, reproduce the content from all episodes recorded and shared on social media. All content is protected by U.S. and international copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without permission from the owner is strictly prohibited and can be punishable by law. Failure to comply will result in legal action taken. All rights reserved. Russell Radio Network and Beyond the Tracks Incorporated 2022. (laughs) Survey says... Bad times don't last forever, but bad guys do. I absolutely love that phrase. Do you know why? Because there are too many goody two-shoes in this world. There are too many suck-ups. There are too many kiss-asses. There are too many people who don't live life on the edge enough, meaning they don't take risks because they play it safe. And, yes, it does pay to be nice. It does pay to be, you know, have manners. But in professional wrestling, a lot of us fans – 
pull for the bad guy, not just because of Scott Hall, but because heels are somewhat easy to relate to because you want to be the opposite of what some people want to be the opposite of what everyone else is doing. They don't want to be trendsetters. They don't want to be the norm. And Scott Hall embodied that no matter where he went. Did it take time for him to get noticed? Sure, because you have a big guy with a similar gimmick name to Magnum T.A., You have a guy that's tall with a mustache that really didn't grab the attention of Jim Crockett, didn't grab the attention of Vince McMahon or Gorilla Monsoon. Maybe not until 1992 did you really know who, well, Razor Ramon was because there's such a thing as putting the young town over. And even though Bob Backlund is a blabber, he knew how to – Get Scott Hall in the picture, in the moment, put his ass over, and Scott Hall became the Intercontinental Champion, so on and so forth. His matches with my favorite wrestler of all time, um, Shawn Michaels. The very first, you know, Intercontinental title, title versus title match, in my opinion. The winner gets both, Intercon- you know, one Intercontinental Championship, even though it was for to see who the real one was. That match told a story at WrestleMania 10. Not only that, folks, but Scott Hall was, you know, like I said, he was in and out of company so much, and he had matches that highlighted him kind of, sort of, you know, like, oh, let's see here, Razor Ramon versus Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ramon versus Owen Hart, Razor versus Sean at SummerSlam 1995. I tell you, one of the funniest moments ever during that match was, um, I guess Scott was trying to get grab Sean and powerbomb him off the ladder, but instead grabs Sean by the pant leg, and you hear Doc Hendricks or Michael Hayes go, it's a full moon tonight, Vinnie Mac. Those are moments that I want to remember for a very long time because as a kid, never really got to see WWF per se, but I did get a heavy dose of, uh, well, ECW and a little touch of WCW, but that's besides the point. Scott will always be that guy that was not afraid to tell you exactly how he felt, exactly what you were doing wrong. And I speak experience, you know, from the Performance Center uh, as a guest coach, him, that is, would sit there and tell people in general, like what they were doing right, how to approach a promo, how to approach a crowd in general. Because some of these cats, like Apollo Crews, for example, or Seamus, or anyone for that matter, some of them come equipped with natural talking skills. Some of them know the basics, but they don't like applying it. What are the basics in a pro wrestling promo? There's a lot. Really simple. You build them up. You tear them down. If you're the if you're the heel, make sure that you list off a few things. Name the time. Name the date. Name the event. Make sure that you add some flavor to it. Not only is Scott all one of the many voices in professional wrestling that people have tried to imitate at parties, at weddings, that are wrestling fans. Let me refer to that. His phrase of, hey, yo, Chico, 
say hello to the bad guy. The little pluck from Scarface, that is absolute genius, in my opinion. Now, other people may say, what's the big deal? I mean, the guy just said, hey, yo, and survey says that's one less for the good guys and one more for the bad guys. Or he said that's one more for the good guys. This was back in the day when the NWO became such a phenomenon, even though a lot of people don't like admitting it. The NWO black and white was far better than the NWO Wolfpack. Why? Because you had three guys running roughshod around a company that was so boring. Yes, it had Sting. Yes, it had Legion of Doom. At one point, it had Ron Simmons, which you know he wasn't very well recognized. It had Vader. It had Hogan. What did Scott bring to the table that some wrestlers did not have? When you ooze charisma, when you ooze the ability to not only talk on the microphone, but just the mere presence of him. When he, come, when he came out that curtain, you knew that he was going to start shit. Not only was he a great shit starter as a heel, but the believability with Scott Hall through the roof. If I as a kid wanted to come through my screen and beat the ever-living crap out of him when they were ganging up on Sting or beating the crap out of Lex Luger, it was a big, big deal. Because wrestling back then compared to wrestling now, yes, it's evolved. And yes, there's still good guys and bad guys, but Scott Hall, like I said, was a huge fulcrum in the Monday Night Wars because of the fact that he already carried so much knowledge on how to not only people please the crowd, but to stir up controversy, get people going. Nowadays in wrestling, holy shit, it takes an arm and a fucking leg to get the crowd into their into the fucking event. Sure, I know people are going to say, well, AEW this and AEW that and Impact this and New Japan that. Allow me to tell you something. Roger Piper probably would say similar something. Wrestling is all about how you relate to the crowd and how well you can give your spiel as to who you are and what you're about. And if the crowd's busy twiddling their thumbs on their phone or if they're busy being not interested because you don't pull them in within the first 20, 30 seconds, good luck. You're just going to be a video on a phone, or that's a good thing, though, I guess. You're either going to just be videoed, talked about, said, oh, man, do you remember so-and-so? When he or she blabbed on and on and on about this point and that point, Scott Hall would get straight to the fucking point. He wouldn't hesitate. And even if it was just simple phrases like, hey, yo. Or, now if memory serves me correctly, is that deep bass voice that some people can kind of achieve, you know, with a lot of practice and a lot of looking in the mirror and doing the same facial, facials and, you know, tone and what have you, the presence, the charisma, 
the overall impact that Scott Hall had and forever will have is not going to be duplicated. It's not going to be easy to duplicate that. You just can't. There's some careers that if you mix and meld them together, like uh, Moxley and AEW, if you combine Guerrero, uh, let's see here, Guerrero, a little touch of Benoit. I'm sorry I had to add that name in there. But if you add Guerrero and Pillman, that's the love child of John Moxley's gimmick. Kind of, sort of, all right? With Scott Hall, I don't think you, I mean, you could say some wrestlers have tried and their influence obviously came from him. But really, all that really stems from influences, imitation is the cheapest form of flattery, as the saying goes. A lot of wrestlers in the Indies that can do the follow-away slam, they can do the razor's edge, they can do a lot of the gimmick that, or the moves that Scott did, but they won't ever fucking be Scott Hall. I know that, you know, I saw on my... Facebook newsfeed, and there's one gentleman that said, if you didn't think I was influenced by Scott Hall, then you're sadly mistaken. There's one other wrestler, uh, Danny Warren, that basically said, if you never, ever have attempted to do the Scott Hall shuffle before you enter the ring, you are a good fucking liar, sir. I don't know, I can't read the entire thing. It's too long, but I would like to touch base with someone who said something about Scott and his death. So I'm just going to really just uh, take a look at my Instagram. So I'm just going to point a few things out. Okay. All right. Can Can we be cool with it? So this person basically said... I'm I'm gonna take some time to read this. Just give me give me a second, all right? Said something in regards to this. This is what was said. So. Oh, I deleted it. How funny. Um, I hate to be this guy, but hey, yo, this is what happens when you put bad stuff in your body. Not the greatest, you know, of sayings, and I, (laughs) boy, you know what? This is exactly... I'm going to take a picture. Oh, here it is. Hey, yo, unpopular sentiment. We all going to die someday. Spend your life putting stupid stuff in your body. You're going to die sooner. Life's hard. It's worse when you're stupid. Dude, we all know that Scott did the shiz, all right? We all know that he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed in that regard, but... Like, I'm going to repeat myself from when I started talking. 
right. Bad times don't last, but bad bad times don't last forever, but bad guys do. Yeah, how many time, how many things have we done in our lives that are not worthy of being no being labeled as human? How many times have we sat there and did something so fucking stupid that we sit back and go, "Man, I wish I had a DeLorean so I could go back in time and slap the shit out of me." To make a comment about someone's death in this day and age Especially regarding what Scott Hall had went through, including three heart attacks. He wasn't doing drugs, you dickbag. He wasn't high. He wasn't intoxicated. It's called he had a blood clot. And then in turn, it went straight to his arteries. And kaboom, three heart attacks later, we have a tweet from Kevin Ness. We have mixed emotions about Scott's death. It wasn't confirmed until late. Before Raw, you know, aired, they had a bunch of dudes standing in the ring. So therefore, dude, before you speak, please fucking think that there is going to be some form of impact, all right? There's going to be some form of repercussion no matter what you say. Unpopular opinion for sure. Do you know how many tributes and how many TikToks were in tribute to Scott Hall? In light of what you said, I don't give a fuck. If you think that there's so much attention that's drawn to what you just said, sure. That's giving you what you want, right? How would you feel if that was a close friend of yours that just got in, you know, was rehabilitating their life? And then you turn around after their death and say, oh, well, unpopular opinion, you know, sobriety can only last you so long before you fall back into it. It's the same fucking sentiment, you douchebag. Like, really, when someone says something that's very hurtful and very distasteful about somebody's death, that's very disrespectful. It's very hurtful. It's in poor taste. And what the comment below said was, this is a quick way to get unfriended. I would have said, I wouldn't have even said anything. I would have just messaged the dude and let the nice little long rant and said, look, just because... You're clean and you haven't done any drugs in your life or had to suffer through alienation or suffer through a lot of shit that Scott had to suffer through. There's a lot of wrestlers that did drugs. We mentioned the fact that Ric Flair is still kicking, that Space Mountain is still the longest ride, and he's done a lot worse shit than Scott Hall. And even he, when he was given his condolences, basically said, you will be so missed it was a pleasure working with you so if rick flair a man that's annoying as all fuck in some regards i don't care rick flair is a legend but there are some traits about him that are very talk you know not gonna say toxic but very mixed he's a good dude but he's also an asshole and he doesn't have any shame about admitting that fact either folks i'm giving you the real about not only someone's death, but what has transpired in the last three days. This is sad. I mean, I thought I'd be reporting to you something about a biopic, not a biopic, but um, something along the lines of this is the life of Scott Hall. And 
he will be sorely missed. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that's going to basically give the reel about some dramatic things that went on on social media. Not only that, but give you a chronological timeline, just a brief one, not to bore you to fucking tears, but to make sure that we have some semblance of understanding. When you acclimate yourself into being that asshole who says something about a guy who literally not only left a legacy, he left a long-lasting impression in the world, yeah, in the world of professional wrestling. For not just guys that are like 18, 19. I think a guest of mine, you know, had mentioned Scott Hall was one of his influence growing up. The Young Bucks probably had their influence as Shawn Michaels or, you know, Razor Ramon is the influence for Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy. Because I've seen some of their old family home videos. It just sucks that someone had to say something as vulgar, as tasteless, as, you know, classless as that. So I don't know if the dude took his post down because I'm looking on social media right now. I'm not, I'm not going to name names for protection purposes, but dude, get bent, fucktard. Scott was somebody that if you needed advice as to what to do as far as keeping yourself in shape, making sure you look good every single week for them cameras, making sure that your promos were on point, not off point. I can tell you from experience of working with the dude in the performance center, it was not a I know this dude personally basis. It was, hey, do you really think the crowd will adhere to what you are saying? Like, do you really think the crowd is going to believe your bullshit? In other words, I will never, ever forget that. He's like, come here. He's like, would you rather be a wrestler or a manager? Do you think referee would be good for you? It was like a not a lot of questions coming from Scott to me, but the experience in itself, having been around Dusty and then also him, you cannot tell me that you wouldn't get goosebumps running up your arms. Learning from a guy that not only won the Intercontinental Tag Team Championship, not only faced off with legends like Macho Man and Hogan and all them, turned his life around. That's legend enough for me. Made a difference. That's enough for me. Because knowing that Scott Hall is remembered just because he died is bullshit. He's remembered for creating a positive impact despite his fucking demons, despite him scratching, clawing to get back in the good graces to be inducted in the Hall of Fame after all the bullshit that he went through and had caused and created. They still gave him a fighting chance to turn his life around, be a part of the performance center, to to tell young you know, to tell young guys, hey, you know, don't do this. Don't be like me. In some aspects. That just for me, what Scott did for the wrestling business as a whole, wrestling sport of professional wrestling was he not only 
gave it some identity, but he made it fun. If he got on to you, it was nothing more than, all right, man, whatever floats your boat. I can't go as, I can't go, you know, as G-Force. Maybe. That was also a talent of Scott's, to have a really, really deep voice when he was emphasizing a point. Or when he was concerned about something. You will be missed, dude. And for the dude who was a complete jackass about the whole situation. Again, if a family member of yours died, would you want to have that said on social media about said family member? Just saying. Act your age, not your shoe size. And if you didn't like what good old, and this is going to conclude the whole thing, Shamil. If you'd like to message us directly, you can go to Wrestle underscore radio. On Twitter, it's at underscore Brian Rails. And for any questions, comments, concerns, be sure to call in next time at 213-292. Actually, 213-943-3422. And if you didn't like what good old Brian Rails had to say on Beyond the Tracks, I got three choice words for you. Forget about it. Tune in this Saturday for some more shenanigans, right? More discussion. And by the way, it's going to bring this point home. For those of you who like to say stupid shit after someone's death, just imagine if someone said that about one of your relatives after they died. So fuck off, dude. Get bent. And uh, hopefully you understand what you said was... uh, under the lines of not borderline stupid, it was stupid. Right. Toodles, bitches, I gotta get my beauty rest. Got work in the morning. Dig it.